time to move forward. Mm -hmm. You all set, Marion? All set, thanks. Okay, great. Um, we're going to uh, resume our hearing on the 440 Granite Avenue application for uh, zoning relief. Uh, my name is John Leonard. I'm chairman of the Board of Appeals. So with us uh, uh, this evening are two other Board of Appeals members, Jeffrey Mullen and uh, Nick Gray. Uh, this particular application has been continued to, to this evening uh, to uh, give the applicant time to uh, reconsider the uh, application as originally filed. Uh, and we did receive from uh, Mrs. McEttrick on uh, November 23rd, 2022, a very detailed memorandum, um, basically uh, revising the application on file. Um, and uh, requiring uh, less variances than originally required and uh, reducing the number of proposed units to uh, uh, to 26. Um, so that uh, I won't spend a lot of time. Uh, Mrs. McGettrick's uh, uh, submittal is uh, particularly well done. Uh, contains a lot of detail and uh, I think Marion can update uh, uh, her application uh, verbally a lot uh, sooner than I can and with a lot more accuracy. Um, so that uh, I, I think uh, Mrs. McGettrick, uh, do you want to uh, take the stage and uh, tell us about the revisions to the application and uh, um, how your how your the applicant wishes to uh, to proceed this evening? Yes, thank you. I'm Marion McKettrick. I represent the applicants. And with me this evening is our um, Tony Shaw and Ellen Anceloni. They're from Fine Gold Alexander Architects. We also have Jason Plourd, who is our traffic consultant from VHB. And I believe Pat Costello, who's one of the applicants, is here this evening. Um, I will briefly um, describe the changes in the application. There have been significant changes made in this application since we met a month ago. Um, and we have met with the Neighborhood Association, and the Neighborhood Association has sent a letter or an email to the Board of Appeals, um, essentially um, agreeing or, or expressing pleasure, I guess I'd put it that way, with the fact that we've reduced the, the uh, height of this building from five stories to four stories, um, the number of units from 34 units to 26 units, and the overall height of the building now is 53.2 feet. And with the enclosures on the roof and the elevator opening, it's 61.2 feet. That brings the height of the building within a special permit that's allowed uh, in the business district for a building. And so this application will be for a special permit for the building height and not a variance for building height. Um, we um, So basically what's happened is this, this height issue has been a continuing issue. It was an issue last year. And at the end of the um, site plan um, hearing and after the hearing had been closed, the planning board had some discussion about an additional condition relating to density. And as it happens that they talked about was a density of 26 units for this building rather than 34. As you know, um, if the Board of Appeals is willing to consider the variances that we are asking for in the special permit, the procedure here is that we would ask to for a continuance in order to go back to the planning board because we have to file for site plan approval again. 
and the refiled application will be for this modified smaller building that we're going to describe to you tonight. Um, I also provided some explanation and um, arguments for the variance and special permit in my memo. What I propose to do tonight with the permission of the board is I'd like to ask Tony, Tony Shao to show you or show the public um, the, the changes in the design. Um, I don't expect this will take a great deal of time, but we want to show you exactly what's been changed, what it looks like. Um, after that, I'd like to ask Jason Plourd, our uh, traffic consultant, to briefly summarize uh, the effect of these changes on the traffic impact and, and say a little bit about parking. We do have a video we can show you of um, the parking system, this automated and closed parking. Um, if you would like us to do that, we will do that after the traffic consultant speaks. Um, and as you know, I've also, uh, we, I believe the applicants have met with some of the members of the East Milton Neighborhood Association at a traffic, at a parking facility in South Boston to show them how this works. We met last year with members of the planning board to show them how the traffic, uh, how the parking facility works. And um, we are certainly available to uh, meet with members of the Board of Appeals should they want to see how this, this, this type of parking works. Um, we have a South Boston facility that is allowing us to bring in um, visitors to look at the operation. So is, will that be acceptable then to have um, Tony Shao show us some slides of how the building design has changed? Yeah, absolutely, Marion. Just let me ask you one question to uh, my mind may have been asleep when you started talking. Uh, <laughs> after you do your presentation and uh, have your experts uh, uh, summarize the changes and uh, whatever, um, do you then anticipate uh, requesting a vote from the board uh, on this particular application or uh, a, a show of uh, support or, or how, how formal do you want us to be um, so that well, you can and then yeah. go back go back to the planning board. We're going to ask you for some some indication of whether you're going to consider granting these variances. You may not want to take a final vote um, because there could be information that would be useful to you from the planning board process. But the planning board really needs to hear from the board of appeals on the, um, the, the this decision about the variance and special permit. Um, this was a huge hole in our site plan application last year because site plan review requires that any zoning relief that a project need be granted already, or at least be, you know, have been reviewed with the Board of Appeals and the two boards would kind of work in sync in terms of making final decisions. Um, it's true you could issue a decision with conditions saying that the site plan approval has to be granted and if the board wanted to do that, um, certainly we would have no objection but um, we do need some indication from the board tonight as to whether we it makes sense for us to go back to the planning board and apply for site plan approval. So at the end of tonight, we'd be asking you to give us um, some response and feedback on that question. Okay, that, that's uh, perfectly fair. And I suppose that's the uh, uh, type of matter which is uh, better determined after we've heard from you uh, and from your witnesses. And so, and I think that uh, that approach, whether we vote tonight or whether we just give an indication of uh, uh, 
finding this uh, your requested uh, variances and special permits are seem reasonable under all the circumstances. Um, I, I suppose we can decide that at the end of the uh, at the end of the night, and I uh, can get my comments from uh, Mr. Mullen and Mr. Gray as to what how they prefer to do it. I, I, I do think the procedure that you mentioned is uh, is one that we've fo followed on several applications over the years. Uh, particularly where there's significant interplay between the Board of Appeals and uh, and the Planning Board. And I think it's worked very successfully and we have uh, a lot of confidence in the Planning Board and we uh, we need their assistance and we welcome it. So uh, why don't you why don't you proceed and we'll see how things go. Thank you. So Tony, um, are you able to share screens with us to show us these uh, slides of the new building design or the downsized building design. Let me see if I can pull this up. Can everyone see my screen? Yes, sir. Yes. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, folks. Um, I'm going to try to go through this fairly quickly, as Marion said, just to really give you the highlights of what has been done and modified uh, as Marion said. So what we have really done is the primary reduction is taking a, a floor off, reducing from five floors to four. And this particular front view is starting to show exactly what that means. Um, as we look at the next image, when we see the comparison, the one on the left is the proposed new design at four stories versus the original design you saw at five on the right. Um, so it is a, a, a substantial reduction in, in height and massing taken at this corner of Granite and Mechanic Street. Then this is a close-up of that four-story version now, um, as, you, as you see it today in the current design. If we look from the next view, which is along Mechanic Street, again, the rendering on the left is shown at four stories, and the one on the right is what you previously saw at five stories. And again, when one sees this uh, much closer up, this is how it now appears in the current design as it relates off of Mechanic Street at four stories. Uh, this view is now taken from across the Southeast Expressway. Again, the one on the left at four, the previous one at five on the right. And a closer view of the um, of the, of the, from the Southie Expressway. And we'll, I will note also in this current design, we have also kept the setbacks on that top level um, in this current four-story scheme. So that is why you're seeing a sort of stepping back uh, at the um, at the corners and that's what happens as, on the rear as well. So we kept that going too. And, and then at the ground level of, um, at the intersection of mechanics and granted Ave, this is what you previously saw that that particular view doesn't really change that much from this close-up perspective, but the idea is still the same to maintain retail frontage here at the corner. And previously, we also showed this uh, looser sketch uh, closing in on the more of the entrance to the residential portion of the building along, along Granite Avenue. From a high perspective standpoint, uh, the primary changes uh, as, as Marion described is the numbers um, on the right indicate really the height issues. Uh, the 53 feet, two inches is now the current proposed height at four stories uh, with an additional eight feet on top for the mechanical 
area, uh, therefore totaling the 61 foot two inches. Uh, and then the same thing you can see on the bottom elevation, it's, it's essentially the same, that's the 53 feet two measured to the um, height of the design with eight feet additional height for the mechanical enclosed area on top. The lower mass, just, just to also indicate here, because it is stepping back on that fourth floor, that portion of it is 41 feet, two inches, and then it steps back and that upper floor is, is 12 feet in height. Again, totaling the 53 feet two overall. On these uh, other uh, elevations, this is really more the rear elevations that really faces towards Mechanic Street. Um, the same height issues uh, that you saw before. I think the other thing just for point of clarification, uh, as we described previously, there is a stepping down mass that is occurring in part here, which is above the, you know, the lower level. And then it steps up here to the second floor, which is creates those root terraces on the back. So those respective heights are 10 feet four and 18 feet eight um, as it steps in the rear. This chart here basically summarizes the overall um, facts. Um, the, the, the parcels, you know, of course, it's still the 20,212. Um, now the residential and the parking internally combined total 56,086 square feet. And the overall height of the project is now 53 feet, two inches. And as Mary said, the count of the units has reduced from 34 to 26 units of which 24 are two bedroom units, two are one bedroom units. And within that whole uh, count, three of these are affordable. Uh, also, we'll say that the retail has also been reduced to a single retail at the corner at 1500 square feet. And, and with regard to the parking information on the right, uh, we still maintain the 38 stacker uh, automated parking system that is strictly dedicated to residential spaces. We also have one garage residential loading area and two handicapped parking spaces, therefore a total of 41 interior parking spaces within the building. Uh, and then in addition to that, we have six outdoor uh, commercial parking spaces on the rear off Mechanic Street, which I'll show in a minute, uh, which uh, during the daytime, um, will basically be available for the um, visitors and commercial use from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. And at nighttime, from 6 p.m. in the evening to 7 a.m., it essentially becomes visitor spaces for off hours. And therefore, the total parking count available for this project, including those six at the back in 41 inside is 47 spots. Um, in terms of the residential parking to unit ratio, again, during the daytime, uh, we have 41 spots available for 26 units at a 1.57 ratio. And then at nighttime, when those six uh, spaces at the back become available for visitors and, and additional parking, therefore the nighttime parking increases to 47 spaces for those 26 units at a 1.8 ratio. And, and we'll again see at the front, we still have proposing three uh, loading pickup drop-off spaces um, for access um, off granite, but that's not counted in this total number here. And we still maintain 40 bike store uh, parking spaces in total between the first floor and the basement. So here's how that information lays out on the site plan. Um, essentially what you see here is that uh, the key uh, information is that here uh, within the building, we still on the front Granite Avenue being at the bottom of the page, uh, we, we, we have two residential units here, uh, one which is an affordable unit, the other is market rate unit, the residential lobby here. And then the commercial space, as we said, has been reduced um, to 1500 square feet. Um, and from that basis alone, we have six now increased six parking spaces back here, uh, previously were there four. Uh, so in, in terms of the parking to commercial requirement with one space for every 250 square feet, this we believe now complies with respect to the amount of uh, available parking 
to handle the commercial aspect um, using that ratio. And then again, within the garage, this has really not changed uh, much. We still have 41 interior parking spaces of which 38 are the stacker parking, parking system. Uh, and the other things I'm going to point out, I think that was asked before, are some of the dimensional setback issues. Um, so again, along Granite Avenue, we have a 10 foot off the curb to the face of the building on the ground level. And then on Mechanic Street, we also have a 10 foot sidewalk from the curb to the face of the building. But I think the key information that um, folks had asked for previously, so from the property line, which is dotted in red here, um, the setback on the uh, ground level is five feet uh, off the property line. And then because the portion of this cantilever is here, as you can see in this black dashed line, it, it comes down to two feet off the property line uh, in this instance, um, which is one of those questions you asked for clarification. Um, and so I think those are the main changes and the result of putting the parking here, we're looking to basically put the transformer now underground, uh, basically below the sidewalk. And Tony, there's the residential loading area. Um, that's, a, that, that's a change inside the garage. Uh, yes. So, I mean, within the garage itself, we still have, because you can see the residential parking entrance here loading into the parking spots. There are some slight modifications in this area that Marion is referring to in order to accommodate the increase of um, uh, commercial visitor parking spaces here uh, at the back. So we, we did modify the shaping of this, but again, we still have 41 total interior yeah. spaces. So there was some slight rejiggering of this plan here from the previous design. I didn't know if this is an appropriate time. Jason, did you want to weigh in on this or should we wait for you towards the end? No, but it's, it's perfectly fine if we want to just talk, I can add some things in on the parking. Yeah, and before we do that, the other thing I just want to simply point out again is that the question before was asked. So we still maintain the three proposed loading pickup <laughs> drop-off spaces here right. along Granite Avenue um, for deliveries and also for a uh, move-in situation. But Jason, do you want to um, uh, add to this? Yeah, the, the, the only uh, comments I want to add, thank you everybody for uh, listening to us this evening. My name is Jason Plord. I work with VHB. Um, we wanted to make sure that we're working with Tony and his group as far as making sure that the zoning bylaw requirements were met uh, for the parking spaces, for the design of the parking spaces, as well as meeting the architectural access board AAB regulations for the accessible parking spaces, uh, for the accessible routes, and all of the uh, the design that you see in front of you is in compliance with both the uh, the zoning bylaw requirements as well as the AAB regulations. So I just wanted to kind of add that back in there. Uh, Tony mentioned about the um, the three on-street parking spaces that are designated for the loading. Um, those are very important, especially where we're thinking, you know, I mean, this development is going to be condominiums. So any kind of deliveries that are going to be made, um, you know, I don't know about the rest of you folks, but uh, at least at my office and at home, we don't have deliveries during the peak hours you know, during the weekday morning or the weekday evening commuting time period. So these deliveries are, are expected to be uh, rare in occurrence. And if they are going to be occurring, they would be most likely during the off peak. Uh, I don't know many, many uh, folks that want to be having Amazon or any other deliveries during the peak hours. I know that those uh, those delivery people certainly avoid congested areas that are heavily traveled um, in, and wanting to make sure that they're making their deliveries on time. So I think uh, th that's, as far as the uh, the parking is concerned, that's uh, really an important part is that we expanded the the two on-street uh, for the loading to three. Um, there's 
the additional parking space along mechanic um, and then the the a lot of the changes that were going on inside i think that uh, tony's group has done a great job on that thank you and uh, i can keep going okay thank you uh, very much uh, jason we appreciate uh, let before we go any further i don't want to get too deeply involved in the evidence uh, without uh, having some questions from the board members if they have any so uh, Mr. Mullen, uh, do you have any uh, questions you want to ask of uh, Tony Shaw or uh, Jason Floyd? I'm wondering if there's a parking plan for the condominium. Um, um, space is available per unit. Per unit? Well, what's uh, the I, I think, I think uh, Jeffrey, is, um, I'm going to come back to this sort of um, chart here. So in the in the essential uh, arrangement when it's just strictly during the you know normal hours of operation there's 41 spaces available for 26 units at a 1.57 ratio and therefore um depending on the mixture of the units because most of these are two bedroom units with a couple of uh, ones uh so there will definitely be uh, several units that will have more than one parking space um if you just do the the simple math um if we have 41 spaces in a 26 units, that's 15 additional parking spaces, which essentially can be dispersed to the units. So that in part will be, in, to some degree, it is probably gonna be a little bit of um, how they're marketed. Uh, I, I would suspect that some of the, say, larger two bedroom units in this development, uh, perhaps at a higher price point, are likely to get two parking spaces, for example, versus yeah. the one bedroom units are gonna get one. So. Yeah, I think oh, we need. See, I think we need to see that. Um, I'm wondering why there's not more of a demand program here to lower demand. And I'm. In, I mean, you've got you're providing a lot of supply in Milton's busiest area. We spent almost a year in the East Milton 40B project, and ultimately, we're able to to. Um, the developer agreed to provide free T passes to people who opted out of a space. Hmm. I I think we need to see that kind of thing here. Um, I I I I see the supply, but I don't know why we would be providing providing um, why we wouldn't be trying to limit the number of cars that are entering this site. Doesn't look like there's been much thought about that. So that's really my question. I think that starts with what's the plan for the, how many how many spaces is each unit going to be able to get, and then what incentives are you doing? Are you you propose at this project to drive demand down, given the massive congestion on these streets? I'd like to make a start to answer that. Um, mm -hmm give you a few answers. Um, first of all, the condominium documents, of course, are going to talk about the rights of, of individual unit owners to parking spaces. When we began this project, we began with the assumption that we wanted to provide one space per unit and that there would be a few additional spaces available for those who wanted to pay for them, who were, and the spaces, by the way, in the automated parking would only be available to condominium owners, would never be available to anybody outside. Um, we've gotten a lot of pushback and push back and forth on that issue. We discussed it over and over again last year. So really what we're offering now is a reduced size for the condominium 
We have left the parking as it was originally designed, which means that there would be possibly be available additional spaces for certain units or unit owners could pay for additional spaces. The view, uh, the way this condominium project was designed is exactly with your concerns in mind. Um, we have to get the approval of the planning board for site plan approval. We've been talking with the neighborhood over and over again. They're concerned that, you know, if we don't provide adequate parking available to unit owners, that some owners will simply park one car in the condominium and park another one in the neighborhood. I, I you know, our argument all along has been you buy a condominium and you buy it knowing how many parking spaces you will have. The idea of providing some kind of incentive for using public transit, um, the idea of some kind of bonus, if you only, everybody isn't gonna get, most people are not gonna have two parking spaces. Um, you know, the idea of reducing demand somehow that way certainly fits in with the original concept for this building, which is, that the building will be compactly designed, energy efficient, will have a parking system that doesn't use additional electricity and it uses electricity. It doesn't produce additional emissions, doesn't produce a lot of noise and it's out of sight. And it's, it's designed sparely, I guess, is the way I would. I would um, we've had people come in and testify at these hearings saying, Everybody in Milton wants two parking spaces. How can you even think of providing a building that doesn't have two parking spaces per unit? And we've answered that and said, that's exactly what we're doing here. We're designing a building that has fewer spaces with the goal of reducing the amount of cars that will come in associated with this project and, and the amount of cars that will be traveling to and from this condominium building. So we're certainly open to any and all suggestions for um, providing an incentive for fewer cars, but the very design of the building provides that incentive. Uh, that's my quick response. Yeah. Um, it's it's really, it's kind of like we're between a rock and a hard place on this issue. I don't know. Because, I, I, I'm yeah. gonna, let, me, let me just let me just tell you what I, I think we really need. Uh, you got 26 units. I think the board needs to know how many units are going to be dedicated and are going to be marketed with the condo and whether or not the developer is going to, for example, limit one dedicated space per unit, leaving the remainder to, available to the rest of the of the community of, of the condominium community. And the reason for that is people aren't going to want to use the stackers. They're going to be parking in the neighborhood during the day. I know there's no overnight parking. I think this is a significant issue. And I think that I think that in addition to a parking plan for this, I think you need a demand plan. I think you need to tell us how you're going to dis how you're going to incent people to not want those two cars. I understand the culture of the Milton uh, unit owner, but if we can't leverage the proximity of the MBTA's bus service in this location, we're not going to be able to do it in the community at all. We made that point several times in the East Milton 40B. Those, those are my thoughts on that. I think we, you know, the principle behind this this uh, design is exactly what you're talking about, I think the specifics of it, um, you've certainly had, the board has had a lot of experience with the other 40B project. And if you have, and, and you've just given us one, one uh, recommendation or one requirement or one ask, which would be, I, I guess I'm, 
it, it, you know, you sell the condo units and there's one space for each unit. Then on the other hand, you're saying to me, but people are worried that, you know, the unit owners won't use the parking and they'll just park in the neighborhood. I mean, one argument that I would put forward on that, those are two different statements and they're kind of in conflict, is that the parking is very easy to use. It's it, it's really quite simple. It's there's no there's rel, almost no waiting time. Um, it really does help to see one of these um, automated parking garages in a in a moderately sized building to see how easy they are to get in and out of and how much how available they really will be to the unit owners. As far as the other question, um, we don't have a design at this point that says each unit owner gets one space. And then how do we manage the additional spaces? Um, we certainly could come up with such a plan. And I would expect that we would be discussing that with the planning board as well, because okay. they've had a lot of input into that issue. They've had differing opinions among planning board members. Um, and we need to create as good a plan as possible for everybody in the community and certainly for these two, for your board and for the planning board. Yeah, so no, I, I hear some specifics and any more that you can provide as recommendations, we'd really like to hear them. Well, okay. So, and we would probably, I don't want to dominate the meeting, but I just, I'll say it again. We're here talking about density uh, and we're here talking about impacts that the, that the increased density and the variances that the board is being asked to consider are going to have on the surrounding neighborhood. One large impact is parking. I think more work needs to be done on the specifics of how the parking is going to be arranged. I do hope it gets used. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure that it is, but you need a parking plan and you need a demand plan. And I would, I would encourage you to read the 40B decision that we issued in, in East Milton for some ideas on, on at least what we're used to. The town planner may have some other ideas, but we're certainly very interested in getting people to use those buses. Okay, I, I hear that. So you want a parking plan and a demand plan, and you recommend that we review what you did in the 40B project to see um, some of the- Just some ideas. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Great. Uh, thank you very much, Jeff and uh, Marion. I think that's uh, a helpful exchange. Uh, we did spend a lot of time on that issue with the uh, Corcoran 40B project, and uh, I think the issue was uh, satisfactory, resolved in a satisfactory manner to all parties. So taking a look at that decision may uh, uh, provide some, uh, some assistance, and uh, Jeff is particularly skilled in this area, um, and, and particularly with respect to the MBTA and passive and uh, uh, other uh, amenities to reduce uh, the parking use. So that'll be helpful. Uh, Jeff, uh, uh, excuse me, Nick Gray, do you have any uh, questions of, uh, of either witness? Not at this time. I, I think I want to wait until I've heard the entire presentation. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, Nick. I, I don't- Sorry, Can I ask one more question? Of course you can. Go ahead, Jeffrey. It wasn't clear to me, are the-, are the um, the, so the, the the is the use of the commercial space going to be limited to has to close at 6 p.m. Is that what we should infer? That's what that's not only an inference, that would be a condition um, yeah. that we discussed with the planning board, which was that the commercial space would only be open until 6 p.m. And so what, what the parking spaces would be available for um, guest parking after that time to for re guests of residence. 
What, what's driving the closing of the commercial space at six? Is that a, a neighborhood re request or? Yeah, basically, yes. Okay. Uh, you know, again, this that's why interaction between this and the planning board process is, is the most useful way for this to take place. But yes, that's what we have discussed with the planning board. Um, and I haven't heard any objections to that. We have also said that we do not intend to allow, there would be some restrictions on tenancy at these commercial, in this commercial space, and we will not allow a restaurant just because the restaurants do impose a, a much higher impact on parking. Yeah. And, okay. uh, you know, that, it would, that we would be looking for low um, traffic uses that were useful to residents who live nearby and residents in the building and shoppers who are already in the square who would be walking around after parking. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Mrs. McKettrick, uh, whom do you want to? Uh, um, well, we're going to continue. We haven't quite finished. I, I believe Tony Shao has some more um, yeah. slides to show you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so these these plans, um, uh, I think you have seen before, but just to continue the presentation, so this is the lower level parking garage system, um, which shows the stacker arrangement. Again, we have a very short video clip if you wish to see that. And then the additional essentially storage units for uh, the units and then of course bike storage as well all accessible by the elevator with respect to the second level plan here um this again shows the disposition of uh these uh condominium units here um predominantly two bedrooms um one of the affordable units as shown here and then here you can see that what i described before this is the level two terrace uh, which is 18 feet or so off grade uh, that services these units and then this lower section of the green roof is covering that portion of the um parking area and garage area below it. Level three plan looks very similar to level two plan, um, pretty much. And then the level four plan, um, again, just shows fewer units here. And then this plan is showing the setback along the perimeter here at approximately a five foot um, setback along the entire edge on the, on the rear and on the sides to reduce the massing and bulk. Uh, this again is the stacker parking system uh, that's shown previously. Uh, it's a three level, two up, one down. And then these shadow studies, um, I think were asked and there's a little bit further developed. So this is now uh, the shadow studies in the reduced four story scheme. Uh, the top set of rows is taken at June at 9 a.m., noon and 3 p.m. And the areas colored in the light purple represents the new shadows cast by this proposed design. Again, as a reminder, the bulk of it is massed towards Granite Ave to keep its height and bulk away from the rear. Um, at September at 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m., again, you can see in purple how the shadows continue to cast uh, over the course of the day. Underneath each of these drawings, it represents the gray is existing shadows that are cast from the buildings that exist there now. Um, as we come into December, of course, December being um, the, 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 the steepest shadows because the sun is lowest in the sky. Again, at 9 a.m. shown here, noon, and at 3 p.m. And then coming back to March, which is very similar to September, just as the other opposite season again, March at 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. And then finally, as we get in a little bit closer um, in the shadow study, so here we, we're, we've got a little bit of a large, uh, we're looking at the worst case uh, scenario, which is um, the existing shadows at 9 a.m. from the existing buildings that are shown cast in purple here. 
is what, what they cast now. Uh, this is how the proposed design impacts that. Essentially, the area that's colored in the kind of teal blue represents new shadow that is cast on top of what already is cast previously at 9 a.m. If we look at uh, noon, uh, again, these are the existing shadows cast in purple. This is how the additional shadows shown in the terracotta blue, uh, excuse me, the blue cast uh, beyond the existing, <clears throat> excuse me. And of course at 3 p.m. when the shadows are the longest, this is what is currently cast from the existing buildings on the site now. And again, the area in, in the blue just represents what the additional shadows that are cast uh, beyond what already exists from the purple. And that concludes our presentation for the revised design. Thanks, Mr. Shaw. Let me just ask you one, one question on the stacker system uh, short film that you have. What's mm -hmm. the running time of that film, approximately? 16 seconds. <laughs> okay. is, is that is that okay you want me to show it i think what why don't it, it's so short uh why don't I, i'm not even going to ask my colleagues whether they want to see it or not why don't you show it we'll have it part of the record i'm going to try to pull up i hope this animation works <laughs> so bear with if you can't see, can you see the screen yes sir okay i'm going to just start this clip That looks like Mr. Mullen's car, by the way, going in there. Oh. <laughs> That's it. Okay, thank you, uh, <laughs> thank you very much. Does Does anyone have any comment on the stacker system, uh, uh, Mr. Mullen or Mr. Gray, or any questions about it? Well, if the Porsche guy puts his Porsche in there, I guess it must be perfect. <laughs> That's an exercise in good logic. I, I don't have any. I don't have any claim on how they market their products, so uh, that's not. That wasn't your vehicle, Tony. That was it? not my vehicle for sure. <laughs> I'd like that to be my vehicle, but no, that's it was not an eleven. It's a. It's a very nice vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey, do you have any uh, questions about the stacker system or the stacker film? Mr. Mullen. Hello. Are we He's still frozen? The screen is frozen. Uh, he looks Mary, can you hear me? Deep in thought, Jeffrey. I, I think we're uh, I think we're disconnected. Jeffrey, are you there? Uh, let's see the Porsche again. That's good. <laughs> I want to see that go in. Do you like, the, do you like this color, the, the gray? Uh, yeah, I'm more of a red guy, but the, the gray is very nice. Okay. <laughs> if you're going to have the Porsche, get it in guards red, right? Uh, all right. <clears throat> get all the all the tickets that come with it. <laughs> uh, Mr. Mullen, are you there? I. No, I think he's gone. I think we have. Uh... I think you. He's locked in the stacker. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Marion, can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you. Okay. Um, okay. So, um, well, Crystal, you, hopefully, we'll get Mr. Mullen back. 
I'm looking in the attendees list to see if he's over there. I don't see him. Somebody didn't I put him in the log house. Yeah, I don't see, see him yet. I'm looking for him. All right. He may think we're he's asking too many questions and he couldn't talk. <laughs> Is well, there any we were we would have the traffic uh, analyst next, but I it would be important to have all three board members here. Yeah. Do you want to take a quick break while you try to figure out where Jeff Mullen is? Yeah, yeah. Crystal, are you able to uh, to call Jeff perhaps on his cell phone or see? Uh, where'd you go, bud? Oops. Excuse me, I'm going to see if that's my phone. Nick, are you still here in Milton? Or? I, I am. Okay. I thought you uh, possibly were going to be in the. Uh... Uh, I thought as uh, I thought so too, but the um, unexpectedly the case was continued. So. Okay, Jeff should be. He should be back in now. Hopefully. Jeffrey, are you there? Sorry, John. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Sorry about that. Well, that's great. Is it, uh, do you have your, uh, your your visual on the screen and so you can see what's going on? I'm sorry, John. Did you ask me something? I just wanted to be sure that you could see the screen and yeah 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 I'm sorry yeah I can see it. I don't know what happened so I can see it sorry about that okay it must have been uh, some rival hoag that's trying to uh, I don't think it was interfere with our uh, program here I don't think it was <laughs> did you did you see the uh, the stacker film for six I did yeah oh, okay that's great. So, uh, uh, Mrs. McKittrick. Um, yes. So, at this point, if this is um, okay with the board, I'd like to ask Jason Plord to uh, give us some comments. Um, what what he we asked the traffic consultants to do was to, to look at the reduced size, density, number of units, commercial area in this building, and to come back with some um, revisions, if necessary, to the traffic study 
that they did last year for us. And the traffic study was peer reviewed also. Um, in the end, the conclusions were the same, but Jason will address um, his conclusions at this point based on the size of the building as proposed. Thank you, Marion. Um, again, Jason Plord with VHB. Um, so what we had done was we had taken a look, um, you know, a while ago, back in April 2021, that was when we had originally submitted our traffic study. At that time, the build program, as was presented this evening, consisted of 41 55 square feet of commercial space and 34 units of residential space. Um, the current proposal reduced the commercial space from 4,155 square feet to 1,500 square feet. And the 33 residential units were reduced to 26 units. So right off the bat, you think less traffic because there's less commercial space and less, less residential. So uh, we did run those numbers and in the morning, for a weekday morning uh, peak hour, uh, the traffic uh, total trips in and out reduced from 16 vehicles per hour to 14 vehicles per hour, which represents a 12% reduction. During the weekday evening peak hour, the traffic volumes reduced from 32 vehicles per hour to 23 vehicles per hour, representing approximately 30% reduction in trips. Now, what, what does this all mean? Um, the original build program that was evaluated by Beta Group uh, was ultimately signed off on um, going back and forth on different response to comments and um, everything was addressed. Um, the traffic volumes were never really, the estimates were, were never questioned. The methodology wasn't questioned. Um, we had to take a look at an expanded study area. That was the biggest part of it. Um, and then it was uh, representing a lot of comments uh, on the parking. So from a trip generation perspective, this development uh, is less than what was previously evaluated. Um, so it's, you know, from a traffic perspective, it's, it, you know, either way, whether it's going to be the original bill program or the current bill program, it's still going to be a low generator of traffic. And with this bill program, it's even less than what was previously evaluated and reviewed and accepted by the peer reviewer. So I can get into more detail for any of the methodologies or anything like that, like that but um, I want to make sure that I'm giving the board everything that you're looking for. No, I, I think that's a fair summary to, uh, to at least uh, prompt some questions if we need it. Uh, uh, sure. Jeff uh, Mullen, do you have any uh, questions uh, regarding Mr. Floyd's recent uh, uh, testimony on the traffic study? What What's the level of service in the, in the peaks? So we know that... Um, when we are talking about at the, you know, the signalized intersection up at, um, was that at, at Granite Ave and uh, Boulevard Street, we know that there's long delays, there's long queues at that intersection. We know that the traffic uh, frequently stacks back to Mechanic Street. Um, that's, that's not a, a, a doubt at all. Um, what we had done was we had gone out there and we had evaluated the gaps in the traffic stream when we were having the residential trips exiting the garage or from the uh, parking spaces along mechanic on the property and there were ample gaps and that was part of the peer review process that beta had asked for and we provided that information so i'm not going to sit here mr mullen and tell you that everything is level service a because it's not <laughs> it's just a um, a heavily traveled area especially along granite avenue uh, not necessarily along mechanic street 
um, but McCann, uh, but Granite Avenue certainly is heavily traveled, and that's why a low generator is uh, more ideal than a full commercial development on the corner or any of a high generator. Um, when we're talking about a low generator like this, I think the less traffic that we have, the better. And what is the level of service? Let me look it up in the um, to make sure that I am presenting it accurately to you. Uh, yeah. When we had looked at the uh, the traffic analyses at the Granite Ave Boulevard Street and Adam Street signalized intersection, um, there were some levels of service E's and D's on some of the lane groups. The overall operations were at a level of service C. Um, and then when we are looking at, um, so that was for the um, the 2027 no build and build traffic volume conditions for the weekday morning and weekday afternoon time periods. Um, and then when we're looking at um, Adam Street, we also looked at Adam Street, Mechanic Street and Church Street. Um, some of those movements were at, again, it's a signalized intersection. So some of the lane groups were at a level of service E is an elephant and some were at D. Overall operations were at a C for the signalized intersection. So those were the uh, those were the signalized intersections that were added to the study area um, at uh, beta beta groups request. Uh, are there any, is the level of service modified or, or, or have you not done the analysis to figure out whether or not there's a change in the level of service mm -hmm. projections with yep. the reduced density? So with the bigger build program that was previously presented, there was no change in the levels of service. So with a less less of a generator, you would expect that th those results not to change. Okay. Okay. You Thank also you. had level of service uh, ratings for Mechanic and um, Granite Ave, and I think it was B, but I don't have the study in front of me, Jason. Is that something you wanted that to mention? Yeah, so so that at the unsignalized intersection of granite and mechanic, those were at level of service B, as in baby, and that is um, and that's where Beta Group had asked questions related to the queuing that stacks back along Granite Avenue from the signalized right. intersection at Boulevard right. uh, Street. So um, that was all evaluated as part of the peer review process, um, and. You know this this development program that you that uh, we're presenting this evening is even less of an impact than what was previously reviewed and accepted. I don't want to say approved, but accepted by uh, Beta Group. Do you know what the modification is in the in the trip generation when you compare the current land uses to the proposed? Sure. So um, what we had done was we had taken a look at the existing, uh, and we wanted to use a consistent methodology. So instead of uh, going out there and counting and then comparing it to Institute of Transportation Engineers trip generation information, we want to do an apples to apples comparison. So what we had done um, a year ago for the comparison was ITE, Institute of Transportation Engineers trip generation information for the existing uses and the proposed uses. And we use that same methodology with this build program. So based on the existing uses and what's here in front of us this evening is that we would be generating a total of nine additional trips in the morning so two additional cars entering and seven exiting and in the afternoon we would uh the afternoon being four to six p.m additional correct additional 
and then uh, for the uh, weekday evening between the hour, the highest hour between four and six, again, another total of nine. So five extra cars entering and four extra cars exiting. Thank you. And in comparison to what we had previously had, um, we had 11 additional cars in the morning and 18 additional in the evening. So nine versus 11, nine versus 18. So mm -hmm. we're having less than what was previously uh, reviewed. Okay. Do you have any other questions, uh, Jeff? Is there an image showing uh, where the garage exits or where the driveway exits onto the public way? I mean, on the public sidewalk. I think that was in Marion's memo. Uh, you're talking about the part, the commercial parking spaces. Y yeah, you indicated that that was yeah. one of the, one of the issues. That that is that will still that. require a variance because it, the bylaw requires that you not cross a public sidewalk to exit from a parking area. Um, it, it is so. The point, at, at least that I made in my memo, was. Um, Mechanic Street is a short street. It is a one-way street, and it is mostly, it has a few residential homes on it. it. It's residential further up. And all of those homes have driveways that they have to exit over the public sidewalk from. Most of them are narrow driveways. Um, one might be wider, but it, it's not, this is a very small parking area. It has six cars in it. And so, you know, you'd have to decide whether there's an undue impact or that whether it's safe or not safe to, to design it this way. Our goal here was to provide as much area as possible on the site for commercial, for the use of the commercial units. So for during the day, the effort here is to keep the, the those you those visitors who do drive here to go to those that commercial space. To, to ensure that we had adequate parking on the site for those visitors at a ratio of 201 space for every 250 square feet of space. So we reduced the amount of commercial space, excuse me, considerably, and we increased the number of on-site spaces. Now, again, apropos of your question earlier, Jeff, the original analysis that we produced for this development was that we would have fewer spaces um, we would have more commercial, um, you know, in, in order to improve upon, right now the, this area has about 1,500 square feet of commercial space, but to improve upon that. And our argument was that, you know, these, these commercial spaces will be used by businesses that will attract, you know, uh, residents, people who nearby live nearby to provide services or goods that, that customers already in the square are likely to walk down to this area to frequent or, or visit um, and that we didn't that we were trying to minimize the, the parking available in the spirit of not encouraging more cars to come in here and park mm -hmm. so that's the trade-off um, and you know this is what we've done here does meet the standards in the bylaw um, and I guess um, we'd be interested in hearing comments about that. Well, one of the problem, one of the issues that you know it, it jumps out at you on the site plan, Marion, is, um, and I see why you need the relief for it. There's really no sidewalk there. You know, not now. Yeah, <laughs> it could will be a better be, sidewalk when this is done. Be, 
Could the could the curb cut in the public way be treated to make it look and feel like a sidewalk and still serve as access to the parking? Because you you, know, you want to encourage more of a pedestrian feel, right? You'd like people to walk to that commercial space if you could, but they're really walking in the street, right? Um. I think if you're asking from a design standpoint, Jeff, if I understand your question correctly, um, so in the site plan, because there, as you said, there's a number of curb cuts, right? We have to access to these six commercial spaces as well as the garage. And, yeah. and can we make this feel like, okay, yes, they're car access, but can we extend some of the, whether it's paving material patterns, something to make this feel more continuous, at least then from a visual standpoint, certainly we can look at that um, because I think from the standpoint of what we're proposing, um, as I think as we indicated, I'm gonna just flash back quickly to the front rendering. Um, here we we are proposing you know all new sidewalk uh, much more dressed up you know curved brick uh treated and wider so beyond where you start to hit the parking access and curb cut uh, we can certainly take a look at what we may be able to do at least vis-a-vis -vis surface treatment um to try to not make it so much asphalt paving cutting across this um public way yeah, I don't want that to be a proposal from the uh, from the Board of Appeals because I, I know that you're in the public way and I am imagining that the town, you know, is going to have something to say about that. But one of the issues with these sidewalks in both cases is there some of the sidewalks, some of the that look like sidewalks is actually private land. And the problem that you've got at the parking area is you're really using up all of your land that would otherwise potentially be used to pull that 10 foot sidewalk all the way to the northerly property line on on the on the side street right so i i don't know but i i, I wanted to just dig deep dig deeper on that because that was that's part of the request in front of the board thank you i i understand I mean, it is what it is i guess it's part of the project too Okay, thank uh, you. I'm thanks. all set. Okay, thanks, Jeff. Uh, Nick, uh, do you have any questions or are you going to continue to hold your piece? I'm going to hold my piece until the end. I want to hear all the evidence before I say anything. Thanks. That's fine. Uh, Marion, the uh, ball's in your court. Uh, at this point, um, if you'd like, I can go over some of the points that I have in my memo that I sent the board about the zoning relief that we're requesting. Okay, let me, uh, let me do one thing. Do you want me to do that now, or would you no, rather? No, no. Hold, hold on just one second, uh, because I, I think we're, we're moving into a different uh, phase here. Yes. And I don't want to get so detailed that uh, we haven't had uh, the opportunity to see if uh, uh, any any member of the public who's present may have questions of either uh, Mr. Shaw or Mr. Uh, uh, so, uh, Crystal, is there is there anybody out there? Uh, a member of the public who has a hand up to ask a question and not not to talk in favor or support or uh, make speeches, but to ask uh, a question uh, of Mr. Plourd or Mr. Shaw on their testimony. Yes. Um, hold on just a second. Andrew D'Amato, I'm just promoting him over. All right, Andrew should be here. <clears throat> Andrew, are you there? Hello, I am here. 
Oh, great. Thank you. So why don't you identify yourself for the record, please? Sure. I am uh, Andrew DeBono, 26 Pierce Street. Um, I am a town meeting member, Precinct 7, and I am on the board of the East Milton Neighborhood Association. Um, so, we good? I said, yeah, we're good. Go ahead. Okay. So, I, I, I just wanted to make one comment uh, about this revision in that, the, you know, the neighbors really had very little time to digest this. We, we got it about a week ago or less. And obviously had to go through uh, the holiday season. So a lot of our neighbors uh, are just sort of catching up to this. And I, I just wanted you to consider that before, uh, you know, you make any uh, recommendations. And also to add to that, uh, apparently this is not on TV tonight. And there seems to be an issue, as I think you guys are experiencing too, with uh, this electronic Zoom meeting, because I'm getting a lot of emails and questions because uh some of the people who have questions for you are unable to uh join uh for some reason uh so i do have a few questions and they might be a little scattered because they're coming from uh a bunch of different people uh, on the on the commercial parking um is there any uh employee parking uh you know uh just for people who work there you know possibly there might be two or three employees and and then are they to use those six spots also uh, you know i i see i i know they don't have a tenant yet but the uh the slide that's up now is for uh florists and you know florists generally have you know quite a few vans because they have to deliver uh, you know is there any is there any uh parking for those vans and um and i did have a maybe an idea that you know we could ask that um the commercial tenant purchase uh service parking uh permits uh for their employees that may be one way to uh alleviate that issue i don't i don't know if that's something they would agree to or not but i i thought that might be a um a good idea. Uh, the three loading zones spaces, are those uh, secured already from the town? And is it the town or is it the state that would allow you to put those there? I'm not really sure that I know it's a state road, but I think the town might have some jurisdiction. But I, 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 I would have to disagree with the expert there about um, the vans delivering, uh, you know, Uber Eats and uh, FedEx uh, during peak hours. I live on Pier Street. Obviously, it's only two streets away, and those vans are, are come midday all the time. And I'm sure if they have a package for me, they're going to have a package for uh, the tenants of this building, and that would be, you know, in that time slot. So I think it's optimistic to say they wouldn't. Extremely optimistic to say they wouldn't be there during peak hours, and it's. A, I have a, a lot of neighbors have issues with those spots because if you're on Granite Avenue uh, at any time during, you know, midday, the, the traffic's fast and furious there, and that may be a, a dangerous spot. Um, so if it's such a dangerous spot and difficult to do, then, you know, do we have a, an issue where those delivery trucks now are back in the neighborhood parking on Mechanic Street? 
Um, another person just said, uh, sent me something that said the stacker app, uh, uh, the, the video uh, had someone using a remote and they were wondering about that. Would that be something that uh, this system had? And is that dangerous? Can you operate this thing remotely from your apartment or do you, you know, uh, just wondering about that issue uh, in general. So uh, there's that. And there's an awful lot of people, uh, I'm just gonna throw this out there. I know you didn't talk about it yet, that would love to see this project look a little bit more like, um, you know, the existing architecture within the town. And, and that's reflected, you know, in both the Barrett report, which uh, I sat on and the UL tap, which I also sat on, you know, and the master plan also emphasizes that we should try to keep the character of the town. And um, I, I think a lot of people think this, this building does not look like the character of the town. And would the developer be uh, amenable to try to make it look a little bit more like the existing architecture within the town? And, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a red brick or, or something of that, or even deal with the, a different colorway than the sort of gray monolithic look that uh, I'm hearing that a lot of people uh, really don't like. Um, so I know that's a lot, but like I said, it, it's coming from different uh, avenues because of uh, some technical difficulties. So if if we could address those, I think it would it would help clarify a few things. Um, but so thank you uh, for your time there. Yeah, no, thank you, Andrew. That's, uh, this is very helpful and very good. Uh, Jason, do you want to address the uh, the parking issues and the uh, issue of uh, the remote uh, operation of the stacker video and uh, talk about maybe employee parking? And then we can have uh, Tony um, talk about uh, the uh, exterior facade of the building. So, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I do. Um, I'm going to let um, Tony or Marion talk about the parking, but I do want to correct a couple of things. Granite Avenue is under local jurisdiction. It is not under state jurisdiction. Um, and when I said that uh, the deliveries uh, would most likely drivers that I have spoken with have said that they try to avoid congested areas during the peak hours and the peak hours. I just want to get specific on that for a second. In the weekday morning, it's when people are usually driving to work or driving to school. So that's the highest time period between uh, seven and nine in the morning. And then in the evening, it's between four and 6 PM. Um, I'm not saying that, that it's that these roadways are not busy <laughs> during other times of the day. Um, but uh, as uh, Mr. D'Amato had mentioned that uh, deliveries are being made midday. Um, so I'm not disagreeing with that at all. Uh, I'm just saying that deliveries are frequently avoiding the rush hour time periods. Um, and I can let uh, Marion, I don't know if you wanted to talk about the parking or Tony. Um, I Just a couple of things I wanted to address. Um, uh, for the um, employee parking uh, spaces, yes, that is an appropriate solution, which is that the tenant in the commercial space be required to pay for, it's. I think it's an annual fee um, designated, uh, or I don't know if they're designated, but you have to have a sticker, the employee 
parks in the um, designated employee parking in the square. And we have a number of places where there is such um, employee parking. They move around from time to time. This is a traffic commission issue. Mm -hmm. They decide where they're going to be located, but um, that is an um, excellent and correct suggestion is what I would have given as an answer to your question. Um, it, 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 we had talked when we had fewer spaces with the planning board and when there were other constraints to the size of these spaces about whether these should just be employee parking. Um, now that we've provided more spaces um, and you know we're really trying to provide for off-street parking for this commercial use according to the town's uh, bylaw, I would say that the solution is to require that the tenant, the commercial tenant, purchase parking spaces for each employee. Unless you have, you know, I'm sure there could be some variation in that. An employee who doesn't have a doesn't use a car or gets there by bike, lives in the area, and so on and so forth. But uh, any employee that has to bring a car to work would need to the uh, business would need to secure um, one of those spaces. Um, let's see. Just want to look for a minute at my notes here. About the remote. Uh... Stop. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. On the um, automated parking system, um, when we looked at the um, unit in South Boston to see how it worked, um, the demonstration for our purposes was um, to show us how um, an, a, a tenant would have a remote that they could use. They use it standing in front of the parking area to summon, basically summon their car or to, to close the gate. But they don't have to use a remote. There's there is an um, there's there are buttons right at the left of the parking area that they use to do that too. Um, as far as um, I can't answer the question of whether you could use such a thing from a unit. That's not the demonstration we were given. We we were it was not explained to us that you could you know order your car before you would go downstairs. Um, I don't know whether uh, anyone else who's here tonight can answer that question, but we will get an answer in any case. Um, and uh, let's see. I guess that's, those are my answers so far to those questions. Thank you. I know there were some design questions. Um, does, yeah, does Tony want to address the, uh, the exterior facade of the building and whether it's uh in character or whether it uh, should be uh, modified to, to look like the existing uh, structures that have been there for years. Okay. Um, <laughs> let me try to pull up. Let's come back to this one. So I think what we have felt in the design is that we've been trying to be um, we've, we've tried to be respectful of the of the characteristic, but also given that this is a new building in this location, we also wanted to um, express the fact that it represents uh, a new development. Now, one of the things that we have attempted to do is in the scale of this project, uh, we did several moves to try to alleviate the scale because we broke down the massing as you can see in this view into kind of almost like three distinct components um, with these sort of vertical elements that break the massing. Uh, we've also tried to create more at the ground level to again, try to activate that. 
Um, with respect to the materials, um, we are using we are using brick uh, along the Granite Avenue side, uh, and then a panel system along the backs in the rear. And we have introduced scale elements like it's in terms of color, uh, shown here perhaps in the terracotta in a combination with uh, gray and off whites, and then uh, variations between. Um, I think that the characteristic of the project also, given that it is facing granite, which is a very, very busy um, intersection, and particularly one evident from perhaps like this view, um, is that they, they're, they're really, I think, to some ways um, also holds um, the bulk of the massing against the street. This is the side where the intention was to really push the volume towards granite and therefore in terms of the scale of it, this is where we felt we had uh, to try to contain it here uh, in contrast to the rear where we try to step it back. And in contrast to the front on the rear, we are looking at materials that we think are more complementary in terms of colorways, for example, to some of the houses, uh, which you know often are clapboard and other uh, instances. Um, we are still uh, quite a ways from the final selection of all the material pieces and the actual colors and all of those things, that is subject to a lot more review with folks here. Um, but I think we do believe that the design is is respectful. It, yes, it is new. Um, and uh, I think it's, it, it speaks to this particular project. And it also tries to do things within the confines of the design to mitigate scale and impact, and particularly in the current design, which has reduced um, you know, 20% the overall bulk and massing, which is which is substantive. Can I can I just comment on on just the the color and things? So Ellen Anceloni, Feingold Alexander Architects. I live in Milton. I've been here thirty years. Um, the so what the working with our client is we're looking for durable materials, right? So we're going with a with a whitish gray palette, which is really in keeping with a lot of the other buildings further down. Um, uh, uh, Granite Ave, where um, Fitness Unlimited is, Abbey Park is. So it's really the this color palette is not that far off. But as Tony was saying, we're we're still early in this process, and we know we still have to go through with the planning board. But I, I you know, being a resident, take my job off to the side. The color palette currently is not far into the center of town. Okay, thank you. Uh, thank you for your comments. We appreciate it very much. Uh, Crystal, is there anybody else that has a, uh, a question? There is. Um, Elizabeth Dillon. Dillon. Thanks. Hi. Um, can everybody hear me? My name is Elizabeth Dillon. I'm also a member of the East Milton Neighborhood Association. And I live at 79 Granite, uh, excuse me, Governor's, not Granite, Governor's Road. Um, my question was really for Tony, if you wouldn't mind pulling back up the um, depiction that you can see the width of the sidewalks with the, the measurements, with the measurements. Oh, the measurements. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, sorry. Let me find it. I think it might be at the end, but. Yeah, it's further down. Yes. This one? Yeah, thanks. So I was a little bit confused with respect to the width. So it looks like that this planter that's on the corner here sticks out from where the actual building is. And then it seems like there are a couple of 
other areas where the measurements are from the widest part of the street, well, where the curb is, to the most setback part of the building. And, you know, I'm a mother with two very small children. I'm always pushing a stroller. I'm concerned about the ability to walk around in East Milton Square. So I'm just curious, like, what are the measurements and have we measured the distance from the narrowest points to the other narrowest points? Because it looks to me like the measurements are of the widest point to the widest point, five feet, 10 feet, you know, whatever. But I'm concerned about the maneuverability there. And then the other thing I was going to ask, and I have another question about the uh, facade of the building, but with respect to the um, sidewalk issue, given what recently happened, the terrible incident that happened in Hingham, I'm very concerned about cars jumping over a curb. I don't know what happened there, but very concerned. Um, and I know that we have this one planter here on the corner, which is great, but is there any thought of putting some kind of concrete planter barrier in front of the actual commercial space in case there were an accident on Granite Avenue, because it looks like it's all glass front and I'm concerned about the people in that commercial space as well. And then I could talk about my concern about the facade. I really appreciate everybody's answer about the facade and how the bulk of it was trying to be on Granite Avenue. I do still personally think that it looks a little bit monolithic. And I agree with um, Andy's thought about the brick. And I wondered, has it been considered to have a brick or a fake brick-like appearance? Um, and is that something that's been considered? I know you raised durability and the look of it, um, trying to be kind of modern, but a lot of the buildings in East Milton Square and particularly over there are not really very modern looking. So I was just curious if that's even been considered from a price durability standpoint as well. Uh, thank, so, thank, thank you very much, Ms. Dillon. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. much. Yeah, thank uh, you. Okay. Do you want to address some mobility, uh, the... Uh, sidewalk issue of cars jumping the sidewalk and then yeah. the uh, thank you very much for your questions um appreciate that so the the i'm just going to i know there's a lot of numbers here and they and they can appear confusing um so i'm going to come back to the one of the, the big key dimensions so the sidewalk width um that is actually what you see when you're moving along the sidewalk is essentially 10 feet on both granite avenue and mechanic street um, yes, there is some little bit narrowing at the corner here, but for all intents and purposes, that is the width that we are operating with on the ground floor. Uh, the upper level is starting at level two. It does cantilever over that sidewalk, which is, but it's about 14 feet up in the air. So it's, in terms of impact of movement of people or strollers or other activity will not impact that uh, because it is quite a bit higher off the ground vis-a-vis um, -vis that um, the, the movement along the, the edge. The, the other aspect that you asked about, I think, with respect to the, you know, the, the setbacks or overhangs, and I'm going to just simply come back to one of the renderings, um, which I think probably explains it a little bit clearer. I'm sorry, I'm going to come back to the, so the corner view. So again, what this, as you can see, what this represents, that is the 10 foot width, both here and along here. And we do have the planter element at the corner. And to the point that you absolutely correctly stated, it does provide not only some decorative planting, but it also provides you know some degree of uh, margin of um, protection, tricky at the corner because that that is the most vulnerable part of the building. Insofar as the terrible incident that happened, as we all know in the news a week or so ago, um, 
I, I think um, we have a series of, you know, elements like trees, there are gonna be benches, light poles and other things. If someone were really determined to drive on top of the curve um, or by accident or otherwise, um, uh, you know, I, I don't, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to say, like, can you make a really defensible sidewalk? Um, there are certain things with it you can do to, a, to an extent, um, but um, I, I think that's a question that we really have to get at because that is going right at the whole issue of feeling of public safety, but also public access and uh, visibility. So there, there's a balance, you know, if, if there are opportunities to consider, uh, I guess that would be something that we would want to discuss um, with folks and, you know, the city as well, or your town as well, to determine if that is really something that is a, a primary concern. Um, I do think that having parking spaces um, currently that exist along Granite Avenue in particular, in some degrees also forms kind of a buffer barrier um, when there are actual vehicles parking there, uh, because that effectively there are cars parking along the edge of the, of the, the sidewalk. And then the last thing I just point on this view again, this just simply shows how the cantilever on the upper part extends over the sidewalk, but this is a good, this is at almost 13 feet up in the air. So there is no impact as far as people's movement and accessibility. And this sidewalk that we're showing here is, is wider actually than what exists. I hope that helps to answer your questions. Great, thank you very much, Tony. That's very, uh, very, very helpful. Uh, Crystal, do we have anybody else, anybody else out there with a question? Yes, Warren Lizio. Hi, good evening. Um, thank you for allowing me to speak. Um, my name is Warren Lizio. I live at 160 Alvin Avenue, and I am also a member of the East Milton Neighborhood Association. Um, first, I just want to thank the developer for reducing the height to be more conforming with the code. I know that's never desirable, but you know I think it shows a good gesture towards the community. Um, and also thank you for hosting the members of the East Milton Neighborhood Association in South Boston to view the mechanical parking system. Um, I was actually somewhat surprised uh, that some of my concerns were alleviated with that, um, although not completely, but I, I was actually quite impressed with it. Um, and I also, I think there are elements of the current version of the project, which, which really demonstrates a merit. The full height commercial windows help to activate the streetscape on the, the Granite Avenue side. Um, the sign band around the building is nice for consistency. The green elements reduce the energy usage, and the units seem to have a have a nice, pleasant side size. That said, um, I do work in property management, so I think I have a good understanding of how facilities are generally and practically used by people. Um, and in speaking with a colleague over the weekend about this. Um, it seemed that there could be some potential public safety concerns arising from this design because of its location, which actually stemmed from the requested variances. And I don't mean to be any alarmist in that manner. I just really wanna kind of convey these ideas to you guys. So um, form follows function. So this property is situated at a midpoint along a primary travel route into the city, which means that travelers from all over are passing by and vehicles can easily get off and on the highway at this location. So the overhang onto the public ways could create shadows onto the building at certain times of the years, which is, uh, makes it a good place to hang out while waiting for an associate to stop by. Um, before moving to Milton, I came from Dorchester and there was a church on Dorchester Avenue that had removed these big, beautiful oak trees because they were a convenient people, place for people to hang out at night. Um, 
And it also shadows the retail, which makes those spaces darker. So a two foot overhang may not seem like a lot, but it can also be a lot. Um, and according to the pictures of the design, it looks like the trees on the sidewalks are actually growing into those overhangs. So I don't know how successful that, that shrubbery would, would work out. Um, also, the entire building facade along Mechanic Street is, is pretty much dead space, with the, ex with the exception of the commercial loading doors on that residential side. And in my experience, dead space welcomes misbehavior because there isn't a lot of traffic. People aren't going on that area. Um, so people aren't paying attention. Um, and to add to that dead area, you know, the, the live workspace on Granite Ave, uh, I think it's a wonderful idea. I think there's a lot of merit to it, um, but it's also probably more valuable as residential use. So there are some examples of first floor live workspaces in Boston where the occupant has covered up the windows to make them more private. Um, and then again, that becomes more of a, a dead space. And then finally, the commercial parking over the public sidewalk, where the sidewalk width is narrow to, I think it's only about six feet, um, is going to further discourage pedestrian access on that side, further, you know, reducing traffic on that on the Mechanic Street. So, you know, um, you know, as as the project is reviewed, I, I hope more consideration can be given to how the building will work with the neighborhood. Um, and also, it, it does set a precedent for future developments in East Milton. And, you know, I do agree that, you know, personally, that the it does have a monolithic uh, design that does conflict with the area. So, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Good. Thanks, Mr. Lissa. We appreciate that. Uh... Uh, Marion, do you? I, it, yeah, just a couple of. Um, I, I do appreciate these comments, and they, um, you know, we understand them. Um, there is no live workspace anymore on the first floor. Um, we actually, you know, while it was an interesting concept, we heard some concerns about that um, back and forth. So what's now in the plan uh, is 1,500 square feet of commercial space and two residential units, one of which will be um, an affordable residential <laughs> unit. It is no longer a live workspace, um, as interesting as that concept may have been. It's just something that came out last year at one point, and, and we thought we would try it. So uh, that no longer exists in the plans. Um, the commercial parking area, the six parking spaces, are not on the sidewalk. The zoning issue is that cars have to exit across the public sidewalk in order to get out of those spaces. So that requires a variance, but we have not, these spaces are not actually located on the sidewalk. And we heard the comments earlier about, um, and I think Tony uh, suggested that he might look at uh, how to design the, the surface outside those parking spaces uh, on what would be, you know, where pedestrians would walk past the parking space so that it would look more residential and less like a parking space. So um, you can see here actually in this drawing that the, that the sidewalk is still there. The issue is that the cars have to exit across the sidewalk to get onto the street. Um, and I thank you very much for your comments about uh, the willingness of the developer to meet with the Neighborhood Association and to try to um, reduced density and height, which has been a request that we've heard for a while, you know, really since last year. 
Um, and yes, we worked very hard on the design for this building to make it all electric, to put solar panels on the roof, uh, to, to create an energy efficient building. I, I believe the most aggressive energy efficiency design that I've heard about anyway so far in Milton. And, and the parking itself is intended to be more um, efficient as well, uses less space and, and, and um, more compactly parks cars. Um, um, I haven't, the comment about shadow, I would let the architects answer that, um, but it is at either 14, it's at least 14 feet above the level of pedestrians. Um, I, I actually think that I'm just, this is just my personal opinion, that a building that has resident, a significant residential component like this one is much less apt to be a, 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 a lounging around area, a place where people would gather to be, you know, if they were here, if they're here during the day on the, on the ground floor, they're walking past, they're going into the store. In the evening, it's going to be the residents who will be going in and out of the main entrance, which is on Granite Ave. And I would think having the um, substantial residential component makes it less likely that this would in any way become a hangout or a derelict area. Uh, just my opinion. I don't know whether a few other people agree with that. Um, and I, you certainly we hear the comments about design and we'll be continuing to work on that. Thank you. Uh, Crystal, is there anybody else who has a question in the audience? Yes, Nick Noonan. Thank you. Can you hear me? We can. Yes, Mr. Appreciate it. Uh, my name is Nick Noonan. I live at 35 Pierce Street. Uh, it's straightforward that traffic has been cut by reducing the size of the building from the initial proposal. That said, projections of traffic still seem significantly underestimated. Uh, what I was viewing, if I interpreted that correctly, 41 interior spots and six commercial or visitor units. The assumption seems most people will stay inside in the morning during rush hour. I think that's debatable to say the least. Main question here is how is the proposal estimating the driving habits of unknown tenants? I believe the estimates I heard were in the morning from seven to nine, two entering, seven exiting, evening, four to six, five entering, four exiting. That's a delta of two and understood that people may return from morning commutes at differing times, but I question the accuracy of the traffic projections. Additionally, what is the proposal's mitigation plan for drivers going up one-way streets in the surrounding areas? I live on Pier Street with the renovation of the park and the square. Cars come flying up from Granite Ave more than ever. Construction of this proposal and the tenants living there will have a similar effect. It will increase an already heavily congested area. And as a result, the likelihood for the amount of cars coming up both one way as a mechanic and Pier Street. I'll add that as is on Mechanic Street, you can hardly see when you turn right onto Granite Ave due to the existing businesses to the left of this proposal and the existing parking spaces on Granite Ave. The blind spots with more tenants uh, creates a risk for increased accidents. Uh, I'd just like to know, has the board considered how these two risks will be mitigated? Thank you. Okay, thank you, Mr. Noonan. Uh, Marion, do, does any member of your team want to address Mr. Noonan's concerns? 
Um, well, if Jason Plourd has any um, comments on that, I, uh, all I can tell you is that the developer is going to be responsible for um, creating um, handicapped access ramps at that intersection. The intersection will be, um, we've talked to the town about this part of it, uh, will be widened. And so I believe, I think we have talked about uh, the sight lines at that intersection. And uh, Jason may want to address that, but I believe they were found to be quite satisfactory and to be improved as a result of, of these changes. That's right, Marion. Thank you. Um, again, Mr. Chairman, Jason Plourd, VHB. Um, the sight lines were evaluated as part of the response to comments process um, that we went through about a year ago uh, with Beta Group. Um, and as far as the trip generation methodology, we traffic engineers are held to specific standards and guidelines and requirements that we have to follow. One of which is to be estimating our site trips based on the Institute of Transportation Engineers trip generation manual. That is a national guideline. It's a state requirement. So the methodology was already reviewed that was presented about a year ago to the beta, to beta group and they reviewed the information and they accepted the, the methodology. Now, as far as the numbers are concerned, I always look at this as far as any kind of a residential development that's going in. I look at how my family enters and exits our driveway. I may leave the house at 6.30 a.m. If the peak hour is between 7 and 8 a.m., I'm not counted in that number. If my wife leaves at 8.05 in the morning, she's not included within that peak hour either. So that does not mean that throughout the whole morning, that cars are not going to be entering and exiting. It's during the highest hour during the weekday morning. So that could be any hour between seven and nine in the morning and any hour between in the afternoon between four and six. So by no means are we saying that we are over parking or under parking or anything like that. It in trying to say that all 41 interior parking spaces, all those cars are going to be entering and exiting at the same exact time. That's just not realistic. And that's not based on the findings of the Institute of Transportation Engineers. Are those cars going to be entering and exiting throughout the morning? Sure. I'm not disagreeing with that at all. And that's why there are entering and exiting trips in the morning. People are going out and coming back in. Are they going to be coming back in at a different hour than they left? Possibly. And that's what the ITE methodologies show. So um, we are held to certain standards and requirements that we have to follow. And this methodology, like I said, was already approved by Beta Group. Great. Uh, thank you, Mr. Plourd. Uh, uh, Ms. Crystal, do we have anybody else out there with a question? No, there's not. Okay, great. Uh, so, uh, Marion, how do we proceed from here? Um, I, I just want to know if the board would like me to review some of the um, discussion in my memo on zoning or whether they want to absorb that or have and don't want to go through that. I'm perfectly willing to review that memorandum. Not, I'm not going to read it. It's too long. I'll just summarize it for you. Um, I think what would be your wish. Okay, unless I unless I hear objections from uh, my fellow board members, I I think that's probably a very helpful endeavor, um, and uh, not only would it be helpful for the board, uh, but we we know that a lot of the interested persons to this application um, have uh, that it's it's burdensome 
to be reviewing a lot of technical information, and some people may not, not have had an opportunity to do it. So I think your brief overview would uh, would just be helpful for all concerned. Thank you. Um, just a couple other things I wanted to mention. Um, I did provide um, a memo, a, a an email that was sent to us by the fire chief uh, in, I think, September 2021, um, in which he stated that, you know, he had, he had visited, he, he and, and other members of the fire department had visited the automated parking facility, and were looking at what, you know, sorts of regulations or, or rules um, they might impose and they intended to work with the relevant state agencies and with Mr. Prondek, but we sent that question back to him again. It's been a year and I haven't had a chance to send you this because we only received it today. So I'm just gonna read it to you. This is from Christopher Madden, the fire chief um, saying back to Ellen Ancelone, um, he said, he states, we feel comfortable moving forward with the proposed parking system. We had the opportunity to look at it and understand how it works. We do have concerns as to how to make it the safest, and we will be working with Joe Prondack, Milton's building inspector, also our public safety partners at the Massachusetts Department of Fire Services Code Compliance Office, as well as other fire departments that have these systems in place. Uh, I look forward to working with you and your team to make this a great and safe building. Um, I, that question was asked at the last hearing, and I just wanted to uh, state that we had gone back to the fire chief and and gotten a you know we have a written response which I will provide to the board. Sorry, I couldn't get it to you before this hearing. Um, okay, so on the zoning issues, um, we have now. Um, I'm going to start with the with the issue of use. This proposal requires a use variance because it is a multi-unit residential proposal and it is a combined mixed use proposal in the business district and Milton's currently Milton zoning um, does not allow mixed use and does not allow a multi-unit residential building. So those two ask, those are two um, variations in what's allowed in use that we are asking the board to improve. The reason for this request is, is the location, which is something that we've talked about with regard to some of these other variables that we're discussing. Um, first of all, the construction of the Southeast Expressway in the 1950s dramatically changed this site and it certainly changed the whole square. Um, before that, uh, this there was an open roadway in front here. There used to be the granite railway and then later a regular um, railway track. But once that was discontinued, um, the small village businesses that have been located along these uses, these are uses that stopped and started in East Milton Square. People who worked on these lines lived in the square. Those, those no longer were useful to anyone and the, these small um, buildings uh, that are on these on this site right now, um, they all date back to the 1800s. They've been modified a little bit, but they've never really been changed or redeveloped. And the reason the reason for that is that this is just a very difficult site to develop. It's very it's it's expensive to build a building here because of the intrusion of the expressway. 
So you might say, well, how is that different from the rest of East Milton Square? Well, this site is different because this site is not, has no protection from the deck. Now the deck, you know, has its detractors and, and its um, uh, proponents, but what it does do is it definitely modifies and minimizes sound impact and some of the pollution impact from the Southeast Expressway. So closer to the square, other properties have that protection, but this one does not. This is also the location of an off-ramp from the Southeast Expressway, as some have mentioned at this hearing tonight, um, which makes this a difficult site for development purposes. There's no protection here from the visibility, the intense noise, the high levels of vehicle exhaust at this location. Furthermore, this location is in the business district, but it's on the edge of a residential district. The parcel itself is a triangular shape, which means that it's difficult to site a building conveniently on the site. And this, this parcel is at the location of two streets. These factors combined make the redevelopment of this parcel very difficult. Um, the allowed uses are one single family structure or one commercial large business larger business structure um, a, a building housing small businesses and retail uses we haven't seen that type of building constructed in the square ever that's not to say that it will never happen but there's only a certain demand for that type of space and the real issue is parking there isn't any there's no large parking lot or parking area to serve such a building so the concept here is to create a, you know, a residential building can work if it has enclosed automated parking, because the parking can be kept out of sight and it can be located on this small triangular site and it and still be conveniently accessed by the residents. Um, the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court has recognized that changed conditions surrounding a site can provide justification for granting use variance. That case is the 1962 case of Dion, Dion v. Board of Appeals of Waltham. I have um, researched that case and cases later on. It hasn't, it hasn't been reversed or changed. There are a few other cases um, somewhat similar to that case where there are multiple factors affecting the site. And a number of the factors in the Dion case are very similar to this one. This, this site was at the edge of a newly um, constructed Route 128. It was at an intersection of two streets. It was a triangular parcel. So um, what we've tried to do then is to, to create a building that's a type of housing that's needed by the town. It, it's a different type of condom, it, housing condominium development. It's ownership um, units which are easier to manage and much easier in terms of uh, using this type of parking. These, these unique factors are what support granting relief to allow a use variance. We have a second variance we're requesting, which is the side setback variance facing Mechanic Street. And basically the reason for this request for relief is that on this triangular parcel, we have to, we want the building to be close to uh, Granite Ave and to the expressway because we want to keep the height of the building away from the residential area. If you don't have this, this setback relief on the Mechanic Street side, 
you do have to push the building back in the direction of the rear uh, residential neighbors on Mechanic Street. So it's a balancing test. We feel that the design is better for the neighborhood, has less impact this way than it would if you had to push the bulk of the building back uh, towards the rear neighbors on Mechanic. Um, the variances for enclosed automated parking are kind of uh, self-explanatory. This is a type of parking system that was not, not in existence when the zoning bylaw, um, you know, design regulations for parking um, were created. And so that design, the design regulations, the size of spaces, the um, prohibition against uh, car, one car having to be moved in order for another car to come out of the parking area, those don't take into account the way such a system as this one works. And this system, uh, it's the very essence of the system that one that cars have to be moved around in order for a car to be moved out. As far as the parking space size goes, these parking spaces in the automated garage will accommodate up to a full-sized SUV. The concern with the limitation on, on uh, compact parking spaces in our parking bylaw was to make sure that a parking lot, if it were created, would serve a variety of types of cars. And this parking garage will do that without having to limit the number of compact spaces. And then finally, we have the um, entrance across the sidewalk on the for the commercial spaces, uh, ground level spaces. That requires a variance, is not allowed by our bylaw. Um, but the, the justification here again is to try to create the maximum amount of off-street um, commercial parking in order to keep parking off Mechanic Street. Um, and the design um, requiring driving across a sidewalk is, is the same design that's used by the residences on Mechanic Street already. This is a very small parking area for six cars. It would be quite similar to a residential um, driveway except that here the cars are parked side by side in the driveway, they'd be end on end. But in any, any case, the cars have to exit the residential driveways across the sidewalk. This would not be any more dangerous or have any worse impact. Um, those are, that's, that's a quick summary of the justifications um, based on the, the characteristics of this site for a variance. Um, there are three legs that have to be proven for a variance. The second one is no substantial detriment to the surrounding area. <clears throat> and we've talked about some of those um, issues tonight. We talked about them a lot before the planning board last year because site planning, site plan review um, relates to many of those issues of impact on the surrounding neighborhood. We've provided a traffic study. It's been peer-reviewed. We provided a shadow study for each season of the year, and I would point out on the shadow study, what we need to keep in mind is that a 45-foot high four-story building can be built as of right on this site, and that would cast essentially the same very limited shadows that we showed you in December. So the fact that there is a limited amount of shadow impact in December doesn't, it isn't related to the relief that you're being asked to grant here. It's related to the fact that any new building that's built even to the allowed heights um, is going to cast that tiny amount of additional shadow on the darkest day, the darkest days during December. 
um, we've we've didn't talk about it here tonight, but we we produced um, lighting studies that show that there's very little lighting dispersal away from this site. We've reviewed that with the planning board, made some adjustments, and um, we had satisfied the planning board that the lighting would not have an undue impact on the neighborhood from this building. Um, we've also produced detailed engineering plans, including a stormwater management plan. Again, that's gone through a review process with a peer review engineer and with a town engineer and with the Department of Public Works. Changes, smaller changes that were requested all have been made, and those um, plans have been approved by the town. Um, we did provide a construction management plan. We didn't talk about that aspect of things tonight. But that plan was reviewed with the Department of Public Works and the town engineer and modified according to any requirements that they felt should be imposed. And all of those studies were um, submitted to you in our, you know, prior to our first hearing, um, and and are you know they're fairly detailed and uh, worth looking at, although it takes a while to go through them. Finally, there is a, there's an, an, a sort of odd issue with this site, which is that one portion of the lot, not a very large part of it, is in the residential districts. It's what you would call a split parcel. And there, there, is, um, there have been uh, decisions, including an appeals, very recent appeals court decision on um, these split lots. It's kind of a fine point, but the issue is um, we have a zoning bylaw that says that if you have a split a lot that's split between two zoning districts, that within 30 feet of the dividing line, the um, less restrictive district requirements apply to the more restrictive portion of the district. Um, the question that has arisen in, in cases and has been and was decided in the, this particular appeals court decision, Pinecroft development, is whether um, a development in the can can be located, including for parking and purposes like that, on this area that's in the residential district. It's very clear from the case law that the dimensional requirements of the less restrictive district apply to the whole lot. The question was whether you can locate structures or parking areas in that area. And this case just determined that you can. And that is what we are doing in this plan. We have a parking area that's in part of that corner, the, the um, so only goes back about 30 feet from the, the tip of the um, triangle here. It's just another um, smaller aspect of the cases that are applicable to this particular site. The third criteria for a variance is a showing of hardship. I, I guess what I would point out there is that the small buildings on this development parcel have remained essentially unchanged since the 1800s. Until the arrival of the expressway, the blacksmith shops, granite quarry businesses did relatively well. In fact, the growth of East Milton Square centered on those businesses and other industrial and commercial uses replaced those when there was a regular um, train line commuter railway that stopped in East Milton Square outside this site. However, since the, express, the construction of the expressway, these shops have struggled to survive. They haven't done well. They've been vacant for periods of time. They are tenanted now, but there's been no improvement to these buildings or this site since the 1800s. And there isn't really going to be any improvement unless a higher density building is allowed. 
because the higher density is necessary to generate the funds required to insulate a building and make it attractive enough so that it, this, is, this becomes a useful and viable development parcel. Um, I know there's always in the argument when you say, well, you know, you need a bigger building to pay for this. Uh, you know, they'd say, well, you're always going to say that, you know, you're always. So what, we, what we've done here is in the last month, the developer, the applicant has reduced the size of the building and the density of this building to a point beyond which it would not be economically feasible to build it, that you, you, you simply couldn't do anything here. I, I do believe that without the zoning relief requested in this application, this parcel will continue to be underutilized and difficult to improve. With this development proposal, uh, with the details get worked out and, and the um, questions of impact are properly addressed, the property tax value of the parcel will, will increase, excuse me, very substantially. Um, and we will at the same time maintain a mix of residential and commercial uses, which is exactly how this parcel has been used since 1850. So that's a very quick summary of um, the arguments in my memorandum. I provide more detail and I'd be happy to answer questions about the, the, the justification for the zoning relief. Great. Uh, thank you, uh, Mrs. Piketrick. I thought your uh, written materials were, were outstanding and I appreciate your summary for the uh, public. Uh, for the record, let me let me just ask uh, Mr. Mullins, do you have any uh, questions of Miss uh, Mrs. McGettrick regarding? Uh, no questions right now. And Mr. Uh, Mr. Gray, uh, are you uh, maintaining your silence? Yeah, I well, I don't know whether this is the time to weigh in or wait until everything has gone through. I'll, okay, I, I think it's I'll, probably. I'll wait. I think I think it's the time to wait. Uh, but uh, yeah, okay. Uh, so, uh, Marion, uh, do you have any additional uh, uh, evidence or materials you want to submit? And if not, uh... I, I don't have anything additional. I just ask um, Tony Shaw, um, Jason Plourd, if there's anything else they want to add. But you know, to what they've already said, I assume they've pretty much said their piece. But okay. No, I don't have anything further. I think you summarized it really well. Yes, I agree. Okay, so uh, uh, we're we're at that that stage, uh, Marion. Let me let me just ask you, uh, and I'll ask my uh, my colleagues here for for their uh, uh, comments on the the zoning issues uh, generally and whether it's uh, uh, reasonable uh, to consider that uh, there's a likelihood of granting that relief, uh, subject always to what happens before the planning board but uh, if we have our little discussion and uh, and you elect uh, on behalf of the applicant to go back uh, to the planning board uh, could you just uh, help us because we uh, we're not familiar with the timing of planning board issues uh, when you'd expect to file your application um, and uh, how many, how long do you think it would take the planning board to uh, uh, to review your uh, redesign project and to comment on it and um, presumably then uh, when they finish their uh, work and uh, presumably issue some type of site plan uh, for the uh, the project after hearing from uh, you know not only uh, uh, the, the the neighbors but of all other interested persons and including uh, town boards and uh, 
and the like, um, then it would come back to us for for definitive rulings on the uh, on the zoning. So, can you can you just help us? So as a, uh, what I would anticipate is that um, most of the material that we will be submitting, we would submit to the planning board for this second site plan approval application. Uh, we already have. We've done um, some, you know, the revisions that we've submitted to your board. Um, they have extensive materials, which I would incorporate into the application from last year. Um, and so I expect that we would prepare the application and within a week or so, or as soon as we possibly could, after uh, your discussion tonight, if we are encouraged to do that. Um, you know, I understand you're not going to make a final decision tonight, but we'd like to get some understanding of where you are on the, the zoning relief uh, likelihood, I guess, of granting it if we can satisfy whatever questions have arisen this evening. Um, the planning board um, has to, it, when you file an application for site plan, a review, they have to hold a hearing within a month. And they have spent an awful lot of time reviewing this application already. I mentioned to you that at the end of their last process, um, at the after the close of the hearing, we didn't have a chance to comment on it. They talked about a density of 26 units rather than the density we had proposed. Um, I believe that they will be interested in discussing this reduced application. And um, I can't say for sure how long it will take, whether we'll have one hearing, whether we'll have two hearings. There'll certainly be public input at that point. Um, but I would say that the hearing, planning board site plan hearing should be held within a month after uh, this meeting, or let's say a week from today when we file our application. Um, I haven't talked to the planning director about how that looks. That would bring us to the beginning of January. We're certainly not going to do this in December. Um, and I don't know what the planning board schedule looks like for January. But that's to give you some idea that um, we would be likely to be coming back to you, um, we would hope, within a couple of months of your, your hearing tonight. Um, and that's really the best I can do to, to, to give you some idea of the time frame and, and how long it would take us to get back to this board. Well, that's very helpful. Thank you, uh, Marion, because you uh, appeared before the planning board with uh, frequency and that, that would uh, give us a, an estimate as to where uh, where we are here. So uh, let me uh, let me do this. Um, uh, we're not going to vote uh, on these variance applications uh, this evening, uh, but I, I think Mrs. McGetrick is, uh, is her position is well taken. Uh, that she doesn't want to proceed on uh, uh, whether whether she should be encouraged to go to the planning board um, with the uh, the belief that these variance applications and special permits and the like uh, are, are going to be uh, seriously considered um, by the uh, board of appeals. So um, you know, without being definitive in in our discussion. Um, Mr. Mullen, do you want to address that issue of, uh, of whether it uh, makes uh, sense and, and reasonable to uh, let the uh, applicant uh, understand that uh, the variance, the zoning relief is going to be uh, seriously considered and uh, not considered a, uh, a waste of time to proceed further? 
Uh, I, I will. Yeah. Let me say three, three points. I mean, I think the project has improved since the last time we saw it. Um, I, I think that's the first point. Second point, I, I think the project has a ways to go. And um, I, I think that was indicated by the testimony by the applicant. And I, I am certain by the input, further input from the planning board. And the third point is, um, I think it's hard to answer the questions that the board's been asked because I don't think that they're done with the de development of the project uh, and the variances are both important and very surgical. So it could be that we've got a couple of different things to consider or something slightly different. Um, I will say that if this came back to the board, whether it comes back to the board in this um, in this version or in a modified version following more public input and work from the planning board, it will be seriously considered. So the answer to your, the point that you've made and the way you've made it, John, is I think always yes. Um, but I, I'm not prepared to handicap it. I just I just don't think we know enough. Yeah, no, I, I don't think I don't think you should handicap it. Yeah. I don't think you're being asked to handicap it. Okay. All right. So I will. Uh, okay. Thank. Thank you. That's. Uh, You're welcome. That's helpful to me. And uh, Mr. Gray, do you want to uh, uh, expound a little bit on? Whether... Sure. So my my um my holdup is. I mean, I I appreciate that the project has been scaled back. I I think it's uh, much improved over the version that we saw before. Um, my. My hangup is that I just don't believe that this meets the standard for a variance. And I'll tell you why. The, the first prong of the test is that there have to be circumstances specific to this lot owing to soil topography or shape that affect this lot and not lots, other lots in the, in the area. And it, I've heard nothing about soil, nothing about topography. So we're relying on the triangular shape of the lot. Mm -hmm. And the issue is in looking at the other lots in the town, um, on the, you know, the shape of the other lots in that area of East Milton, this is not an unusually shaped lot compared to the other lots. It, there are a lot of irregularly shaped lots, whether they're triangles or parallelograms or whatever, there's a lot of other lots that are weird shapes. And so I can't find that this lot is affected differently because of its shape than other lots in East Milton are affected because of their shapes. So I, I, I think it, it fails on the first prong and then the rest of the analysis is moot because we never get past the first prong. That's that's what I'm thinking, and maybe I'm uh, saying too much. But if you want my honest opinion, um, based on the testimony, I've read Marion's memo. I've I've studied all of the stuff that's been presented, and that's where I'm that's where I'm coming down. I, I assuming you could pass that prong, I'm still not. I have not seen any uh, actual evidence submitted of the substantial hardship apart from Marion's comments tonight about uh, representations, but I haven't, there's been no evidence in the record of the substantial hardship that would result from a literal enforcement of the bylaw. So for, on those two prongs asking me tonight, I, I could not support 
the eight variances that we're being asked to support. That's where I am. Well, let me ask you one further question. Do you, are you suggesting that uh, you, you think that uh, the project going back to the planning board for uh, additional review, consideration, revision, whatever, um, is, uh, is futile? Uh, as far as your judgment is on the zoning, you know, I'm I'm always, of course, I would love, to, you know, I'm always in favor of getting more input from the planning board and having more details on the project. I also don't want to, um, you know, I am mindful of the resources of the planning board and all of that. I, I just, if, I mean, the planning board sent it to us because we needed to approve the variances before going forward. That was kind of my understanding. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to get an answer for the applicant on the variance issue. And I'm telling you that tonight, based on the evidence, I can't find that we've met the first prong of the variance of the variance standard in chapter 40, section 10, 40A section 10. So that's maybe there's additional evidence that could persuade me. I don't know if that's going to come out of the planning board or not. But I, I don't even reach the rest of it because I fail at that beginning step. I well, okay. How, I don't I don't know how the rest of the, the other maybe my fellow board members can tell me I'm blowing smoke, but that's that's kind of how I'm feeling after the the two hearings so far. Okay, well uh, you're entitled to that opinion, and uh, with Marion hears it and uh, can just judge it accordingly. I think what I hear is that you're certainly willing to uh, uh, to see what the planning board would do with this application and perhaps uh, uh, listen to fellow board members and absolutely reconsider yep. your, reconsider your present position uh, absolutely i'm not okay. if, we're not we're not taking a vote i'm not giving a final position i'm just being honest because i feel like i owe it to everybody of what my thinking is at the moment and where i'm stumbling okay well I, let me let me let me suggest to you what uh, what my feelings are, without uh, indicating how I'd act on this application or variances. Uh, number one, I uh, I'm thrilled that uh, everyone associated with this project, the applicant, the applicants, uh, expert witnesses, uh, Mrs. McGetrick, uh, the East Milton Neighborhood Association. Uh, the the folks uh, who spoke individually but were members of the association uh, have been participating in this process in good faith. Uh, I think that's really uh, important, and I I applaud the applicant uh, for making uh, substantial changes uh, to this project uh, so that it can continue. Uh, the process of uh, permitting, um, obviously with no guarantees. Uh, I think that's that's really important here. Um, I, I think that um, the planning board is going to be very helpful to the Board of Appeals on, on some of the issues that may affect the variance decisions. Uh, and I'm, I'm be delighted to get their independent uh, viewpoint and uh, all of the neighbors and the, the association will have the opportunity of 
attending the planning board meetings and participating. Um, with respect to the uh, to the zoning, I, I think we need a reality check. We we have a site here that I think is undisputed that has remained unchanged since the 1800s. Um, the uses that are presently there are inferior at best. Uh, I actually recall a few years ago uh, a matter coming before the Board of Appeals on this project where somebody was telling fortunes uh, in part of one of the residences here and was looking for a permit. Um, I think you have to look at this project uh, in a broader perspective um, than applying rigid rules of construction uh, of variances. Our melting ordinance, zoning ordinance, is in shambles and is taking years to update. We have Marion sets forth in her proposals in her comments, I think 10 studies have been done of this particular area. Um, and the zoning of this area has not changed one bit since the 1960s. If you want to apply the 1960s to construction projects in 2020 with uh, a lack of flexibility or rigidity, um, Nothing's ever going to get built down there until there's a wholesale uh, plan that's adopted and enforced for the development of East Milton Square. And that's going to take a long time. Uh, I think that um, you, you have to consider that Marion is never raised, but I certainly think of it. Um, it's a lot of what's happened at the, uh, the Corcoran site. There was an opportunity to develop that site for a much more modest structure. Uh, it was rejected for whatever reason, I'm not gonna go there. Uh, and now there's a 95 unit affordable housing unit coming to Milton. Um, if this project is not successful, you're going to have a six or seven story, 75 unit affordable housing project on this site. If you think the, the board, the Housing Appeals Commission is going to worry about traffic and noise and sight lines and what the construction of the building is, uh, ain't going to happen. Um, I, I think that, Sending this back to the planning board, it, it, at least it's a worthy endeavor. The applicants here, uh, the uh, association, have spent enormous amounts of time on this project. And uh, if, it, if it doesn't succeed, uh, so be it. But I'd hate to see all of the work, hard work and good faith efforts uh, go by the wayside. Um, without the planning board having an opportunity to be of uh, uh, assistance um, here. Um, so my, my view is I, I think I like to never say never. 
I, I, I like to think that the enormous project uh, pro progress has been made here. Um, we, we have the uh, neighborhood association writing to us saying that they're very pleased with the developer regarding the reduction in height, height and the reduction in density. So I don't know where this is going to go, uh, but I, I think it's a disservice to the town of Milton to torpedo this particular decision uh, or project at this point in time. Um, another month or two, we've, we've been hearing this for a couple of months and I know you were before the planning board many times. So I, I think going to the planning board for another couple of sessions uh, that may further revise the project um, may, be, uh, may be helpful. I, I think really what everyone is trying to do here is to have a project that's in the best interests of the town. Uh, and that, that's certainly the Board of Appeals objective, consistent with a reasonable application of zoning uh, variances and principles. Um, but I, I just, uh, I, I'm, I'm more encouraged on this application than I was when the application was first presented. And I, I, I think that uh, there are positive signs ahead of us. And if we come back and we, we don't grant the relief, uh, then we'll make a good faith decision as best we can. But I, I think it's 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 not prudent. It's not in the best interest of the town. I'll tell you that for the project to end here this evening. I, I think the uh, this, there's still life in this uh, project, and I would I would like to have all the evidence before us when we make a decision as to how to proceed. Um, so my uh, my position is that uh, I'm encouraged. Uh, as is the association that the progress has been made. And I'd like to see what the project looks like when it comes out of the planning board. And then uh, I, I do not anticipate lengthy um, hearings before the Board of Appeals. But I think at that point in time, we'll have all of the evidence and be able to resolve this matter one way or another. And that's probably in February and March. So. Uh, I don't know whether that's helpful or not, uh, Mrs. McGettrick, but I think that's a fair reflection of uh, how the board feels. And uh, my my suggestion is that uh, uh, you you can weigh what the board has indicated uh, with your clients and your experts. And uh, my suggestion is that uh, if you think you need two months before the planning board, figure December is shot. January or February, uh, maybe this case should be put over to, uh, to sometime in March and uh, see what happens, see, what, see whether you exercise your remedies before the planning board or whatever you decide to do. And, but at least we'll have a slot preserved for you to, uh, um, to reasonably and uh, quickly come to a final decision on, on this matter. Well, all of your comments are very helpful. Um, I would say that, well, you need to, you're going to have to select a continuation date 
And if you feel that it would be best to continue to March, I don't know whether it's, I mean, you're going to have to do that tonight. So can you? Well, look at well that? that's what I think. Would you rather try something in February? Um, or would you rather just go to March and then pick a date here and now? Well, the only reason to push it back forward back to February would be if, you, if we set a continuation date and we're not ready at that point, it's just a matter of opening the hearing and, and continuing it further. Isn't that correct? Yes, that is correct. So how about mid-February? It's a, maybe too optimistic, but um, I really would hate to see everybody just sort of sitting on this for a month. Okay, I mean, I, I don't... And, and then, uh, then we would continue it until March if it if it turns out we're not going to be completed with the planning board at that point or we need more time for some other reason. Uh, is Mr. That, Mullen, is uh, sometime mid-February, does that sound reasonable to you? Yes. Uh, uh, Nick Gray. How yeah, was uh, that's fine. Whatever, whatever works for the applicant is fine for me. Okay. Okay. That's uh, that's fine for me, with the only exception I'd like to uh, uh, keep away from uh, the February vacation week when I may be traveling. Okay. Um, so what, uh, Crystal, do you have your diary there for uh, some time? I do. The... We, um, we're pretty open for February as of right now. So okay. what, what are the works? dates? Um, what are so... the dates? The six is a Monday um, through the vacation ninth. is the twentieth, John. Yes, that's okay. February. Yep. So, were you thinking the week of the thirteenth? Maybe that's. Yeah. Okay. So the thirteenth is a Monday. Fourteenth, fifteenth, or sixteenth. <clears throat> well, I don't like Mondays, and I certainly don't like uh, Fridays. So. Uh, how about the what how about the 14th or 15th, Marion? Does that work uh, for you and your clients? Both of those dates are okay for me, and it's far enough away that we should be able to do it. I can't do the 14th. Yeah, why don't we go with the 15th in case there's someone who has a, an appointment on Valentine's Day that's better not to be spent <laughs> in okay. a board of appeals meeting, just in case one of the applicants or something, anyone? So the 15th, yeah. uh -huh. whatever it is, I'll do whatever. Okay, how's, how's the 15th, Marion, for- uh, That would be um, fine, thank you. Schedule it for hearing, but on the other hand, if you uh, uh, if you need additional time, just let us know, uh, uh, if you can, uh, four or five or six days before that, and we, we'll uh, kick it over to uh, some other mutually convenient date. Yeah, and I'll try to let you know well before that, see how okay. all the scheduling the planning board is going. That's great. That's very fair and uh, appreciate that very much. So uh, unless, uh, does anybody have anything further to add here? Uh, hearing hearing nothing. Uh, we're going to continue this uh, particular hearing over to February 15th, 2023 uh, at uh, 7 p.m. in the evening. And uh, look forward to hearing from uh, Mrs. McGethrick and uh, wish you and your, your client uh, good fortune before the planning board. Yes, and, and if I could just add, please, uh, Mr. Leonard, um, there is some information that's been requested tonight by the Board of Appeals, um, some of which we may be able to provide. So this is still an open you know, hearing, 
and to members of the public and, the, and of course, to the board. Um, we will try to send that information along to you whenever we have it. And I would, I think this, um, all of this information is being posted on the town website for this hearing. And that, that, yes. that would continue to be this, the case. So everybody should keep checking the website to see if there's any new information. Um, hopefully there will be. Thank you. Yeah, I've spoken like a former uh, chairman of the Board of Appeals. That's uh, well well taken. And the only other thing I'd request is that if uh, if there are significant variations in any of the, the uh, uh, materials that you've filed with us uh, and they get changed before the uh, planning board, that you just uh, file those with uh, Crystal so that the board would be aware of the uh, uh, status of the project as it's proceeding with the planning board. Yes, of course. Thank you. Great. So with all of that, uh, thank you for appearing. Thank you for your good humor and your patience. Uh, we're over to February 15th, 2023 at uh, 7 p.m. And uh, I guess I wish everyone uh, uh, the, the best of holidays and uh, a uh, healthy and happy 2023. <laughs> and we wish you the same. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Good night. Thank you, everyone. Good night. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. See you on the 15th of February. Yes. yes. Thanks. All right. We're adjourned. Thank you.